one of the things I would say is don't map yourself onto an existing market, map a market onto you, right? You need to know where that home base is, the center of the bullseye. Where's your one square inch where you know that you know that you know that's your spot and then map the market onto you. This is Show Your Business Who's Boss. Listen in on behind the scenes, unfiltered conversations with my favorite business owner friends who take charge and make their businesses work for them. Don't just be your own boss, show your business who's boss. I'm Pia Silva. On today's episode, I'm delighted to speak with badass business owner, Jeffrey Van Dyke. Jeffrey helps people find and communicate what's really different and special about them, that one thing that really only they can offer. But he does it in a way that I have not seen anywhere else. I'm serious. You're going to want to listen to this. Jeffrey is an international speaker, strategist. He's a guide who works with highly successful leaders and founders who know that they are meant to transition into their life's legacy and have a meaningful, lasting impact on the world. I invited Jeffrey on after I had the pleasure of taking a training of his inside a program that I'm a part of, Black Belt with Taki Moore, and I just knew that I had to share this genius with you. If you either don't know how you're differentiated in the market or you see how you're differentiated, but your market doesn't, this episode is going to blow your mind. In it, Jeffrey is going to share what your core wounds have to do with your business, how you position yourself, and how you connect with your best audience, as well as questions that will help you identify patterns of feelings and behaviors that will help you find your people in the market, and so much more. So buckle up. Here we go. So I watched your training in Black Belt, And it was not the same, but I've done trainings on the same topics, right? Exploring your traumas, exploring your stories, you know, in very personal development type of situations. And you brought that training in and you connected it to figuring out what is so special and differentiated about you in your business and how to speak to your market in a way that's going to resonate with them. And I have never seen that connection before. I do I'm a branding person, so I do lots of messaging stuff and I like to do, you know, personal development stuff. So I've (laughs) done a lot of that. Never have I seen the two together. So it was a big eye opener for me. I I brought some of that to my people immediately, you know, just like this is a different way of looking at this. And I really just wanted to have you on and chat with you about it and hear more about how you figured that out. (laughs) Yeah. So why don't you start by telling me, like, how did you how did you? figure that out or get there or arrive there. I was in training and development for years at Microsoft and did one of those like this isn't it anymore moments, right? And eventually got trained in coaching. And I remember asking one of the key trainers like, hey, can you coach me? I want some like personal coaching and some business coaching because I, I, I've never run a business before. His answer to me was, oh, you'll be fine. You're great at coaching. You're tall. You're handsome. You'll be fine. I'm like, oh, that's that's the strategy, huh? Thanks. Moving on. And then the first couple of years were just that, like, excuse my language, but a shit show of I'll coach anybody on anything. You know, if you have a pulse and a problem and a pocketbook, you're a prospect. Of course, that didn't work so great. 
So then you go to the experts and they all say, oh, you need a niche, which makes a ton of sense. The problem was every person I worked with around discovering my niche, basically, okay, either, either they're in the, what are the hot niche camp, like find a, a lucrative niche. Cool. That makes sense. Or they're in the, you know, what have you done before? You know, and I'm like, oh, well, I have a, two degrees in music and I've worked in technology. And they're like, great, musicians are technology. And I'm like, no, I left technology for a reason. Musicians, by and large, don't have any money. Um, not interested. The bottom line is none of it felt true. None of it felt right. Uh, and I did not know what to do. I stumbled into my work because I was fortunate at about that time to meet a mentor of mine, Tim Kelly, and uh, ended up you know, coming under his wing and being the first person he trained in his work. And we taught around the world, started a company in Israel together. And it was all about life purpose. And his mechanism of finding life purpose is different than anything I've seen. Standard life purpose methodologies usually use imagination and memory. So memory, tell me a time you were fully alive, what was going on then, vision or imagination. Hey, if you had a year left to live, what would you do and why? Oh, your purpose must be in here, in this kind of area, which I think is fine for kind of a general population, but not when you're trying to run a business on it, right? <laughs> like a general sense of a market doesn't really work. So his mechanism is... Let's clear the way of the ego's resistance to knowing your purpose. Because, of course, the ego's cons you, you, part of you is going, why am I here? What's my purpose? What? How can I give my gifts? But another part of you is like, I'm not sure that I want to change my life. I'm not sure what it's going to do to me. And so in his work, we get permission from the ego. We work with it to create conditions under which the ego feels safe. And then we connect people with a form of guidance outside of their conscious mind. So if somebody's religious, it might be God or an angel. If somebody does ancestral work, it might be a, an ancestor. If somebody's agnostic, it might just be their inner knowing, their soul, their gut, and basically download purpose. So I did that for a number of years. And uh, that was people find their purpose all around the world. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, you know, literally thousands of people over many years. Wow. Um, all one-on-one -on -one, or were you leading? Some one-on-one, -on -one, but mainly training, training teachers in this work. We built a certification in the work, taught the work in groups and different settings. Then at some point, I, I went to this conference with Tim. He was a keynote. There was this other keynote, Suzanne Falter. And at the time, she was a big wig in like online platform building, branding, etc. She said one thing from stage that struck me like lightning. She said, your platform is the one square inch you drill a mile deep in the marketplace. And I was like, okay. Well, now I understand why coaches and, and entrepreneurs have such a hard time finding their niche. What's the right one square inch, right? And it's kind of like gopher holes in our backyard for most of us. Like, oh, let me try it here. Let me try it there. Oh, that didn't work. You know, and I've worked with people and I've met people who are like, well, one year I'm like, I work with couples and the next year I'm a branding person and the next year I'm doing diversity work. You know, how do I know what's the right place? And if we can't answer that sincerely, authentically, like in our heart and soul, in our bones, 
No, this is my market. These are my people. The chance that we're ever going to commit wholeheartedly to a brand, to positioning, to a business, to our messaging is slim to none, you know? And so I, I'll never forget, Tim and I at the time were teaching a, a course in purposeful marketing, using your purpose to market. And we're like, maybe we should write a book. And gosh, if we do, we should probably work with like a bona fide marketer. And I was like, she's the lady. So I waited till all the people, you know, at lunch after she's off stage crowd around her. And I wait till everybody's gone and I say hello. And I'm like, I think we're supposed to write a book together. <laughs> so like my first words out of my mouth. And she's like, I don't do books anymore. They're not profitable. I'm like, okay, well, I still think there's work for us to do. She was like, you know, looking at me, like, who are you? You know, at this conference, they had one of those back tables for the presenters, right? The special place to sit. So she sits down, I sit next to her. I start journaling. So I, I do a lot around messaging. I happen to also work a lot with my own guidance after all these years of doing this purpose work. So I start journaling back and forth with my inner guidance. Who is this lady? Why am I supposed to be here with her? All this, right? And she starts peeking over my shoulders. She's like, uh, ask this. And she starts feeding me questions. <laughs> and eventually she's like, we got to go back outside. And by the end of that weekend, she's like, you need to you need to work with me. I have a big conference in a few months. You need to co-present with me. And fast forward six months, we had started a new business together. Wow. So, yeah. So you didn't creep her out. You, you, uh... <laughs> I creeped her out at first. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's so, quite a move to sit next to her and just start journaling. <laughs> you know, here's the thing. I, when I know something, when I like get a message, like that's it, that's the direction or that's the person, I just know it. You know, I just follow it. I think one of the reasons I've been successful in, in my career is that like most of what I've done my entire career doesn't make sense to most people. Right. And it's just because when I get a sense of that's the path and I know it and it feels true, I just follow it. Mm. You know, you commit. So anyway, I you commit. commit. Commitment yeah. is. Yeah. That's More it. than half the battle. That's it. And it's really hard to get people to commit. <laughs> you know, it's about trust. Commitment is trust. To me, there's four aspects of trust. We're going to go on a side sidebar to okay. trust for a minute. Go. So the first aspect of trust, trusting the universe. Is this a benevolent universe? Do things happen in my favor? Am I guided and supported? You know, in my world, I live in a benevolent universe. So that's the first one. I, I, I trust when things come to me. Second one, trusting my own inner guidance. When I hear a message and I know it, I know it. I got it. You know, I trust it. And for many years now, that's been my path. I don't, I trust it more now than I did say 20 years ago because I've learned more to follow it and I've had more track record that when I follow it, things work out. So that's part of building the trust. Then there is trusting yourself. That's the biggest one, right? especially when you're called to do something that's out of the box. You know, most of my people are paradigm changers. They're here to do something different, to either change an industry or a sector of society or introduce something new that people haven't seen before. You know, and when you're bringing something that is paradigm changing, you don't have evidence that people want it at first, right? So how do you follow through? Well, you've got to trust your own gut sense. There's something here. And that, like, you know, knowing your truth and then following through on your truth is how you build that trust. 
And then lastly is trusting others. We can't build something on our own, right? <laughs> Lone Ranger style. Lord knows a lot of my audience tries their damnedest. <laughs> yes. I think it's a, uh, a real bugaboo for a, or a lot of entrepreneurs, right? We don't like yes. to trust people. And a lot of us have built our lives around not needing people. And we build our own little empires where it's all in our control and we don't need anybody. And, you know, at least that's what we tell ourselves. But we can't grow, if we don't have a tribe around us, you know, our support team in our own companies, support people for our own vision and journey, all of that. So trusting the universe, trusting your guidance, trusting yourself and trusting others. When you have that kind of trust built and instilled in yourself, that's when you can take risk. That's when you can commit to something that you haven't seen before and that doesn't seem to make sense because you have that trust. You have your own inner knowing. You're not looking for some external validation that says, yeah, you can do it, right? Half the stuff I've done, people have told me I couldn't do or shouldn't do. <laughs> you know? I, I, I hear that. Are, do you think that the building of these different aspects of trust, it comes from being really connected to and knowing your purpose? I mean, there must, is that the connection? Uh -huh. I think that helps. You know, I was fortunate in my 20s to get connected with a spiritual teacher that I've worked with now for, well, I'm 48. So that was 23, you know, for about 25 years now. And so, and Lord, you know, God, <laughs> I had the most horrendous self-esteem in my 20s. Just, oh, you know, I had to do a lot of work to make peace with who I am. And so part of it is, you know, guidance, but part of it is that making peace with who you are. Because a lot of how we give our authority away is not trusting who we are, you know, not, not making peace with who we are. And when we're not at peace with who we are, we're looking for other people's validation and permission and acceptance and, you know, oh, please don't reject me. Please accept me. And when it comes to messaging and marketing, one of the biggest challenges I see is people's messages are dismissible. They're, they're forgettable. They're, are, you know, dime a dozen. You go to so many entrepreneurs' websites and you don't give a shit or you've read it all before, or it's all jargon and none of it really means anything, or all of the above. You know, people are like, why isn't my messaging working? What's not clicking? You know, part of what I look for is, where's your stake in the ground? Where's your authority? Is there something that I have to attend to in your messaging? Or are you being nice and hoping that I'll like you? And if that's the case, it's completely dismissible and I'm just going to walk on by, right? Like, forget it. Don't need to attend to you. You did not give me a reason to care. And in a saturated marketplace, which is, <laughs> you know, it's never been more saturated in the history of humanity, we cannot have dismissible marketing, dismissible messaging. So let's get onto the messaging stuff. When I worked with Suzanne, I thought it was, you know, add purpose to, to marketing and, and positioning and branding. It was too clunky, but we would brand somebody and they'd go, holy crap, that could be a multi-million dollar brand. And they'd freak out sometimes, right? So all the work I did with Tim of working with people's different parts of their ego, different parts of themselves in service to opening their way to their purpose, I started working with the parts of them that were scared of power, of money, of authority, 
of influence, right? And Suzanne would come to me, oh, here's their market and here's their market's craving. And I'd, I'd say, oh, I could have told you that. Given who they are and what they've been through, of course that's the market. Of course that's the market's craving. It must be, right? And over time I thought, well, gosh, could we reverse engineer this? Instead of kind of poking around in a general marketplace to try to find that golden buzzer, could we start by really understanding someone's history, their life history, who they've been, what they've gone through, in order to discern who they were trained to serve? And for now, over a decade, that's what I've been doing, right? So that's where it started was like, huh, maybe there's this reverse engineering we can do here. All this personal development stuff I've done. But before that, I was in training and different forms of marketing and, and messaging and, you know, then working with this marketer. And so here's kind of how it goes. Wait, just to say, like, yeah. that's a great story and a beautiful I love when the person's story just perfectly unfolds to exactly who you should be and what you should be doing, Jeffrey. It's like all the pieces aligned. You're like the only per now it feels like you're the only person that could be doing this work specifically. I am the only person that can do this work. Because of yeah. And that's what and you are gonna help people. You know, out. my my core program is called the work only you can do. Well, there you, know? you go. <laughs> that's what that's where my focus is. What's the Love work it. only you can do? Yes. I'm doing the work only I can do. Right? We don't need another Jeffrey Van Dyke in the world. I'm here. Right? We don't need another Pia. You're here. So what's the work each one of us is here to do? And how do we get out of competition? Right? Out of the role of saying, oh, there's a you know, a hundred different people or a thousand different people you can go to for this. And then we have to compete on what? Time feature, benefit, money, all the same basic BS that everybody is doing and competing on. And the market, you know, our, our potential customers are out there looking around going, okay, but why should I go to you? And we're, you know, crossing our fingers and hoping they're liking us, right? Oh, how about my personality? It's so charming, you know, which it might be. Or, I mean, I work with branders exclusively now, or I watch a lot of branders, they look for some sort of gimmick. That's to me, that's the worst one. Oh, oh give me an example. Like I remember this, <laughs> well, he's someone from a while back, like using like a kitchen metaphor, but like oh. everything was about the kitchen, but it had nothing to do with a kitchen. Uh -huh. So it was just kind of, you know, it, it was, <laughs> I, oh. I got what they were doing, yeah, but it yeah, was yeah, superficial yeah. and it- Everything's an analogy. It's, yeah, it's just using words from a kitchen, but it's so irrelevant and there yeah. is no core reason. It's not, you're not even a, someone who likes to cook. I mean, at least <laughs> start yeah. there. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and this, these are branding people. So this is, I mean, this is why the, what you said resonated with me so much. Yeah, uh, my my partner is a big wig in the sales world and so somebody looked him up trying to pitch him something and saw that we love to go to national parks right we have all these pictures on our profiles of us on top of some mountain and he mailed from amazon a pair of binoculars about you know with my product you can have vision right so clever gimmicky did not work uh -huh. but we got a free pair of binoculars out of uh -huh. it <laughs> <laughs> so here's where i go you have a life unlike anyone else in the world. No one has lived your life. No one has the exact experiences you've had, even if you have a twin, right? That twin did not have every experience you have, 
And even if they did have like 95% of the same experiences, they didn't process them the same way. Part of why we care about people is because of what we've gone through. It's because of who we've been, right? And at least the entrepreneurs I work with, and I believe the entrepreneurs you work with, like we care about people. We want to help authentically. You know, when I started personal development, my my orientation, and I think this was sold to me a lot, was one day I will be all cleaned up. I'll be fully baked, ready to serve, right? The present will be wrapped, the bow will be on top, and then I can get out into the world and give my gifts. And it's the ultimate fantasy of the ego, right? The, the, the first fantasy is that we are broken. And the second fantasy is that by working enough on our brokenness, we can be fixed, But in the first half of life, we all go on that journey on some level. And we all have wounding experiences. Our wounding experiences are the primary experiences that shape us. Certainly joyful experiences, mountaintop experiences do too. But wounding experiences are often or primarily how we develop our psyche, our sense of personality. It's when things happen that hurt, part of our psyche says, oh, I don't want that to happen again. No more. I know, right? I'll do this instead. I'll be this kind of person, right? And we tend to, so let me back up a little bit, just do a little work on wounding. Wounding to me happens in the Petri dish of two ingredients, uh, speaking of kitchens, experiences that are painful and confusing. Uh, so if an experience is painful, but it makes sense, it just hurts, right? If it is uh, confusing, but doesn't hurt, it's just weird. But when it's painful and confusing, it creates a vacuum of meaning that we must fill. Why is this happening to me? Right? Why is this happening to me? And we are meaning-making machines as humans. Right? Everything, we're looking for the meaning in everything. As kids, one of the ways we fill that gap of meaning is by making up beliefs about ourselves. Right? Blaming mom and dad from a uh, developmental standpoint doesn't work. That's biting the hand that feeds us, right? We want to get their love and attention. We want to keep food in our belly, right? Don't blame them. We're dependent on them. So we blame ourselves. Oh, this is happening to me, to me because I'm a loser or because I'm unlovable or I'm unwanted or fill in the blank. Now, Over time, our beliefs get reinforced because we start interpreting new wounding experiences through that lens. Do this enough over a lifetime and we develop a core wound. This is the primary patterning of our wounding. For me, as you can tell, I've never really thought inside the box. I've always been outside the box, even as a little boy, right? I never fit in. I grew up I was born in Holland, Michigan, filled with Dutch people. We had license plate holders that said, if you ain't Dutch, you ain't much. Everyone was blonde hair, blue eyed. Everyone went to the same types of churches. There were literally churches on every corner and some blocks had one in the middle of the block. It was incredibly homogeneous and I never felt like I fit. Then in elementary school, we became evangelical. Very much like, you know, if you don't know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, if you leave this building today and get hit by a car, you're going to heaven, you need to raise your hand and, you know, to get saved. And it was all about fear. 
And do you belong? Right? Are you in? Are you saved? Or are you not? When I was 13, I was on the beach with my big sister, Kim, and hanging out, laying out, because that's what we did back then. And uh, a couple of her friends came over, uh, these, these gals and a few guys. And there I was, this little 13-year-old boy looking up from my blanket and for the first time in my life, really noticing, like, these guys are turning me on. Like, I just, whoa, what's that? Like, I should be looking at these gals in the bikinis, you know, like gorgeous 16-year-old girls in bikinis. Nope. I was on the guys with the board shorts and their abs. And I just sat in that moment having my life turned upside down, you know, because where I came from, like, not only from a religious standpoint, where you're going to burn in hell for all of eternity, but also in that kind of world, in that community, everything was about fitting in, being part of the same. We're the best. If you ain't Dutch, you ain't much. You know, I kept that secret for a decade. I did not tell a single soul. Just fighting with God every every day, like, make me straight, make me straight, make me change. So part of my patterning, from a wounding perspective, is I don't fit. I don't belong. And for most of my audience, because here's the key when it comes to messaging an audience, your audience shares the same patterning, right? If you lived a life knowing the ins and outs of belonging, for example, wouldn't it make sense that instead of cleaning yourself up, fixing it up, getting rid of it so that you can serve, that we would utilize it. That we'd say, oh, this was my training program. This is my training for my life purpose, for my life's gifts. And not only did it train me to understand a group of people really intimately, I also did certain things and didn't do other things in response to the wounding that sent me on my own personal training program to develop the gifts to serve them. So for me, I know belonging intimately. I know coming out intimately. All of my people, paradigm changers, they, they're weirdos. Like, I love them. They're benevolent weirdos. But they think differently. They all have to come out. Most of my people have some sort of spiritual orientation they have to come out about, right? I have a client in one of my programs right now. She's a engineer who's worked in big oil and whatnot. And she's like, yeah, and I'm a secret channeler, right? So, you, you know. A medium? Yeah. Oh. You know, so like, <laughs> she's got to come out at some point. So there is a coming out process, a laying claim to who you are, not looking for permission from uh, anybody else to lay claim to who you are. That is central to the journey of the people I'm here to serve. And I hope you can hear that my life prepared me to know that journey intimately. Yes. You know? Look, one of the things people sometimes ask is, but I'm not like, I'm still working on myself. <laughs> or, or I'm not a psychologist. Like, I'm not, I can't work on that stuff. And my response to that is, you don't have to work on it. You just have to know about it. You have to understand and empathize with how a group of people's psychology works and how that impacts and influences their behavior and experiences in the area of life in which you serve them. So, could I talk about belonging in relationships? I could. That's not the area in which, of life in which I serve people, right? I, 
like that's not my that's not my calling. So I don't talk about that, right? I, I, I apply my understanding to the journey of being an entrepreneur, a messenger, a change maker, somebody out there to bring something new to the world. That's where I apply it. And I know the ins and outs of that intimately. And here's the thing, because I know the ins and outs of it, I can speak to them incredibly intimately. Right? It's not uncommon when I send emails to my list or, or do different trainings that we'll have people write into our support team going like, Jeffrey's never met me, but it's like he's reading my journal. It's like he's inside my mind. It's like he, he gets it. Like I feel so connected to him. You know, I remember the first time I did a big, you know, 150 person event with Suzanne back in the day and had all, all people flying from all over the world. There was this whole group of like 13 people from England that came together. And I was like, wait, you flew from England to San Francisco to come to a three-day event with me? I Like, I didn't get it. Like, why did you come? And every single one of them said, essentially, well, I could tell you what's on the sales page that, you know, was good and whatnot. But at a deeper level, I just knew I needed to be here. That is what I call wound bonding. And it is how humans connect. We empathize largely on, oh, I have a shared struggle. Usually we do that with our actual stories, with, with storytelling. And I'm a huge storytelling fan. I train people in storytelling, all that good stuff. But even beyond storytelling, in our messaging, when we understand the patterning, right, we understand their worldview, their perspective on life. If part of their overall perspective is I'm not wanted, it's going to influence everything they do and how they approach their business, how they approach their marketing, how they approach their messaging, etc. Give you another example to go in a totally different direction so people can kind of see how this works. I had a guy come to me who was a uh, consultant in Silicon Valley, and he was established and had a good business and had a good reputation but didn't do any outbound marketing because he didn't know his positioning. He, he was a consultant, <laughs> right? He wanted to grow and he wanted to start doing some marketing. And he came to me because he's like, yeah, I don't, I don't really know who my people are. So we did this process and it's what I call the life PhD process. It's the PhD you got from life. In the PhD process, I asked five questions. Well, six with the first one. So what happened? And in my process, I take people through a handful of core wounding experiences. And with each experience, we ask these five questions. How did you feel? What did you crave? What did you do to make sense of the experience and get through it? What skills did you develop as a result? And what beliefs did you adopt about yourself and the world? And in, in my process, I do this over two hours. So we get really, really deeply into it. Now, here's what's interesting. Every single one of those questions is market relatable. So how did you feel? That's the pain, the ouch. And I take people deep into, you know, when you feel that, then how did you feel? And when you feel that? And so we end up, I, I do it on Excel spreadsheet. Well, now a Google spreadsheet. But we end up with a whole list of emotional words. 
Hey guys, I wanted to jump in here really quickly and ask you for a big favor. If you love this podcast, if you love this episode, I would be grateful if you would share it with a friend who would benefit or better yet on Instagram in your stories and tag me at Pia Loves Your Biz. It really is the best way for others to find out about the show and I thank you in advance for your help. All right, back to the episode. You're saying you have these questions, you're you're asking them about a personal traumatic event from from childhood usually, but you're saying that the mapping of those feelings, those feelings are going to be what your target market is going to default to in terms of their own negative feelings in their exactly. business. And that's where we're getting that information from this story. Mm-hmm. When they're not having a great time, <laughs> Right. right. And usually we're marketing to people who aren't having a great time right. of something. Those are the default emotions people, your people are going to gotcha. default to. So here, let me, let me go yeah. a little deeper into that for a quick second. Our emotions are not connected to our experiences. They're connected to our patterns. It may seem like, oh, this thing happened and then I felt that way. But what I would ask you to look at is, but guess what? Every time a wounding experience happens that has you feel unloved, unworthy, like a loser, like a failure, whatever your pattern is, there is a button that gets pressed and there's a cascade of emotions that is predictable and repeatable. So those emotions are connected to the patterning, not the experiences themselves, right? If your audience shares said patterning, Mm-hmm. They're likely to experience very similar emotions related to that pattern. Make sense? Yes. Yeah. So what we do is we mark off how many times people say a word over all these experiences. And there are certain words. It, it, it's funny when I do this with clients, they start chuckling by the third or fourth wounding experience we go through. They're like, oh, yep. And then I feel this way. And then I feel that way. And then I feel that way. And then I feel that way. And then I'm down on the bottom of the pit. Right? Like, can I ask another clarifying question? Is, yeah. is there, you're saying it as if there is the one pattern. Do people have multiple patterns that happen or they really always come down to one? No, there are multiple patterns, but I will say most people have one usually dominant, dominant. pattern. Yeah. My pattern, all, all the work I've done on myself, it's all comes down to belonging and power. Relationship with power. Can I trust myself with it? Myself with it? That's all the authority, trust, you know, trust, etc. And belonging. Do I have a place in this world? You know, and here I am all these years later doing work called the work only you can do, right? <laughs> Finding the one square inch you can drill a mile deep, your place in the market. Do I have a place in this world? Do we see the connection? <laughs> right? <laughs> there I am. There's my wound in service to my gifts. So how did you feel? What did you crave? That's the longing, the hope, the desire right? When people experience your product or service and you make a promise, how are they hoping to feel as a result of experiencing it? That's the craving, right? It's all mapped out. Then what did you do and what did you develop? In response to all our wounding, we do certain things. You know, certain, some people are like, oh, I became the good girl. Some people, oh, I became a straight A student. I excelled. Some people, I became a badass, <laughs> right? That was me. <laughs> Started beating everybody up. And then what skills did you develop as a result? So one of the things that I did is I became a performer. 
right? I've sung on pretty much every major stage in this country. I've sung mm-hmm. in front of thousands of people. I've sung on Carnegie Hall multiple times. I've been, uh, you know, broadcast live on NPR nationally. So all those years of performing, I can show up and I can serve. Put me on stage. I'm more at home on stage than any place else in the world. Well, guess what? My purpose calls me to be on stage. Now, I did <laughs> I still work on this. You know, at first it was, let me put on my facade and show you this picture of myself because I don't want you to see the real me because I'm broken, right? So I've really had to learn to drop the mask and actually be with people. That's been a big part of my journey. But I also know that's a big part of my audience's journey, right? So what did you do? What skills did you develop? I developed the ability to entertain, to be on stage, to perform, right? Among other things. And then what beliefs did you adopt? And we're looking again for the pattern, the primary beliefs that created the patterning. So when we have a belief, I'm a loser, then we have patterned behavior and people either deflate. Oh, we sink into the wound. I'm such a failure. Or we inflate. I'm going to show you how amazing I am. I'm such a winner right? Sound like a president we had recently, right? Hell bent Mm -hmm. on proving I'm a winner. When we apply that patterned behavior to an area of life in which you serve people, then we see some of the problems they experience because of that pattern, right? If we're always trying to prove I'm a winner, there's some places that's going to backfire on you and really prevent you from moving forward. That patterned behavior in the area of life compound over time creates their ultimate pain. And that's where we do our branding or go to marketing. That's when we develop, say, a a key product offering. We develop it in response to that pain. So I use how did you feel and what did you crave? Strategic words in marketing and messaging. And when you use these patterns and these words in the messaging, people go, it's like you knew me because you do at a pattern level. What did you do and how did you develop tells you what some of the key skills are that you can use, say, in your brand story to demonstrate how you're different from others and what people can expect from you. What beliefs do you adopt tell you about the patternings that you have a life PhD in from which you can serve people? So that's my core process to help people understand who their market is, what that market needs, why they're the one to serve them, how to speak to them, and what to sell to them. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. And as I listen to you, and I think I'm probably the, I can't believe you just compared me to our last president, the, I'll show you. <laughs> and, you know, when I when I went through the exercise, I, yeah, it was just, it, it immediately illuminated the people that I work with currently and why yeah. those people are so attracted to me because, of yeah. and, and how much I res, how much I can see how similar we are and how often they say like, ah, oh, you know, I have the same pattern. I'm like, yeah, well, of course you do because that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> you know, of course yeah. you would be attracted, you know, you're not going to be attracted to me if you're a completely different kind of person because I'm really out there with what I'm selling, the dream yeah. that I'm selling. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it maps perfectly. I mean, I can see it. I can't do it. Just, but I can just see the it. brand. Show your business who's boss, right? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It's it's so great. And when we realize that, we go, oh, I actually have X-ray vision for who they are. You know, in your own journey, yes. still we have our own blind spots, right? So we're not so great at seeing ourselves. 
But when it comes to somebody else, cause, you know, because we can't see the label of the jar while we're in it. Yeah. So, but when we look outside at somebody else, man, we can see them with such clarity. And what a gift that is to them in service. So I'm going to give you an example. This guy in Silicon Valley comes to me. We do this process. And it is betrayal, 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 right? Given up for adoption. Somebody else might have processed that as abandonment. He processed it as betrayal. Mm-hmm. Uh, wife left him for his business partner. Everywhere. It was just like, wah, 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 neon signs. And I said, okay. And he primarily works with largely men CEOs, male CEOs in Silicon Valley startups. I said, all right, your guys are most likely going to have a betrayal wound. And he looked at me like I was three-headed. Like, how am I going to market betrayal to <laughs> Silicon Valley CEOs? <laughs> right? And I was like, you're not going to market the pattern. The pattern is invisible to us. It's unconscious. We're just going by unconsciously living out our patterning. And until we do a shit ton of work on ourselves, it's usually invisible. So no, we're not going to market the pattern. We're going to look at the symptom of the pattern in the area of life in which you serve them. So we we do this little step up ladder, right? So there's the pattern. What's the pattern of behavior in every area of life because of the pattern? Oh, the pattern of behavior is they don't trust people, right? Betrayal wound, don't trust people. Okay. Pattern of behavior applied in the area of life in which you serve them. So how do CEOs, where does it cost them, right? Oh, they don't trust their executive team. Ah, okay. Some people would stop there, and that is a mistake. That's just a general problem in the area. We have to look at the problem compound over time to find where the pain is, right? And I'm always looking for three ingredients, something that the audience is aware of, has pain around, and is willing to spend money to solve. Otherwise, we don't have a business. So, okay, if the CEO doesn't trust the executive team, keeps them at bay, keeps them at arm's length, then what happens? He goes, oh, they all become bottlenecks. Everything needs to be run through them. They become the biggest bottlenecks in the whole damn company, right? I said, okay. And if that happens over time, then what's the problem? And he's like, well, innovation just slows down. Everything just slows down. Oh, and if innovation slows down in a small to medium-sized startup in Silicon Valley, then what's the problem? He's like, oh, well, then they either die or get acquired. They can't grow. Now, I used to work at a startup like this. We called it the Berry Factor. It had a brand in our company, right? I was on a feature triage team. I represented the customer. There was tech support. There was marketing. Can we you know, sell this, et cetera? Ten of us. And we would go through feature requests and green light certain ones based on a number of factors. We would go all the way through beta testing, actually develop it, about to launch it. And Barry would be, eh, I don't like it. He'd yank it. And sure enough, guess what? Barry got ousted. They brought in another guy that was known for preparing companies for sale. And we got sold. Thankfully, we got sold instead of dying, right? That's so, a side a, note. Is that a pattern that you see a lot in that particular uh, position? I mean, the kind of person that becomes the CEO of a company, are they not naturally also the kind of person that has a certain kind of pattern that creates bottlenecks? Can be, but it also depends on the size company. CEOs of large companies don't, don't do that. They can't, right? Think about like, okay. you know, what is Mary Barra of GM, right? If you have a company that size, 
you, you can't just wouldn't function. It wouldn't right, function. It just wouldn't, right. Okay. Right. So well, I, I say only... that because entrepreneurs tend to have that controlling oh, nature. Small right? entrepreneurs. I mean, small entrepreneurs. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's who I'm talking to. So yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Small business. Yeah. Yeah. It's very classic in small business. I might resemble that remark myself sometimes. <laughs> right? Well, I definitely do. Um, so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> projecting. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, it's, it's good catch. So what we ended up doing is positioning him as an innovation consultant for small to mid-sized startups. When he would interview a CEO, he knew I always feel like I'm a, like a, a truffle pig, like sniffing for where that pattern is. Like, do you have yeah. it or not? Because if you don't, I'm probably not going to be the best at serving you, right? So he's like, so tell me about your uh, executive team. Trust them. Rely on them. How do you work together? Right? The whole time he's listening for, oh, do you have this betrayal wound? Because if you do, I'm going to know the ins and outs about your high functioning and your low functioning and how it's impacting this company. Now, he never uses the word betrayal in all of his work. He focuses on trust. Sometimes in the depth of his work, the CEO will say, you know, I've had a lot of people screw me over the years or something like that, right? And they'll, they'll start talking and admitting and they'll work on trust and how to build trust in the four levels of trust and, you know, all this sort of thing. And it is the trust building that turns around the innovation because the company starts to flourish, because the whole team starts working together, because the Barry factor starts getting erased, right? And, and, and that's how he produces success with his companies. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So all of us have a pattern, a core pattern. Our audience shares the pattern with us. That pattern is going to impact behavior in every area of your life, including the area of life in which you serve them. That patterned behavior in that area of life compound over time is going to create the pain that they are most hungry to have solved. And when you speak to them about that pain in the context of the pattern, you might never need to uh, even name the pattern like this guy, but speaking to the emotions, the experiences, how they think, how they process it, they go, oh my God, you know me. Mm. Oh, and, and, and if you know the pattern that's causing the symptom, which a lot of people don't, right? If you know the pattern that's causing a symptom, then you can do something that most other marketers can't do, which is diagnose appropriately. You know, most people are trying to solve the wrong problem, which is why their problems persist. When you understand the pattern that's underneath the symptom or the presenting problem, and you say, you know, if this is going on, this is going on, this is going on. When I do this with my audience and I talk about the messaging and talk about like trying to find their place in the world and all this, and then it go, you know, one of the things I know about my people is a lot of us are outsiders. We're misfits. We're renegades. We don't fit. We never did. And there's a part of us that so longs to be accepted. When that shows up in our messaging, in our marketing, and you're trying to get your audience to like you, which would seem to make sense if you're trying to sell something, what it actually does is make you dismissible and makes people not need to attend to you and walk on by. And my audience, when they hear that, they go, holy shit, I never thought of that before. I never saw the belonging wound connected to why my message isn't working. When that light bulb goes off, I no longer have any competition. Mm. Because if you can diagnose someone's problem more clearly than they can, 
you become the automatic place to go for the solution. Right. That is when you are doing the work only you can do. My head is spinning. Jeffrey, a slight, slight tweak question. You said, you know, when you get this pattern, that's your audience. But what you're saying is that's your best audience. That is the audience you want to speak to. You'll do your best work. You will be most able to connect with them. Your messaging will be able to reach into their heart and soul. Yeah, like it will. I love that dog whistle. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. It's what I call um, finding the one square inch you can drill a mile deep in the market. I've mm-hmm. been, ever since I heard that phrase, <laughs> I mean, it's been over a decade now, Take Pia, it. Yeah. and I'm still <laughs> running with it. You yeah. know, it's really, where is the place where you no longer have competition? That is so good. You, so you actually started this whole conversation with that. I mean, maybe some people have heard the concept of inch wide, mile deep, but which inch which is inch? the big question, and, yeah. and you just kind of unfolded how to find that inch. And it starts with you, which is so fascinating because t- two th- I was just on a call with, with a bunch of people talking about branding and marketing and, you know, how do, how, do you, how do you figure out your message? And a lot of people were saying, listen, listen, listen. And I was just talking to someone yesterday. I was like, you know, I'm, I'm not huge on the listening. I've always been like, look, this is what I think and I'm going to yell it really loudly and my people will hear it and they'll come to me. And that's always been my approach. And I always felt like there was a part missing with the listening. <laughs> and I'm not saying there isn't. I'm sure there's lots of listening and all of these things. But but the reason I think you resonate with me so much is because this is a much more uh, thoughtful process. But there's like an aspect of it, which is do you all the way. Your yes. people will appreciate that. Your people will hear that. And I love you that. You know, we have a friend in common, Taki Moore, and Taki, probably quoting somebody else, I think quoting somebody else, you know, says people don't buy coaching, they buy coaches. Mm. When you do you all the way, and that is key, right? That's when people are like, oh, it's you, right? It's like one of those like rom-coms, like, oh, it's you. It's been you all along, <laughs> you right. know, like, ah. Oh. Yeah, that's it. Which which actually also goes to a, another ongoing conversation I have with a lot of people about the idea of content and whether or not, you know, content is free. You know, it's like this information is out there, but mm-hmm. you pay high prices for the person who's delivering it, for the person yep. who's able to make the connections for you, whether it's coaching or, you know, I coach small branding agencies. You know, it's a done-for-you service, but there is an, a coaching aspect because there's the strategic part. There's the pulling it out of somebody. There's yeah. I mean, we're talking about branding yeah. right now, right? So, yeah, I mean, I, I yes, I, he says if, that. I love it. I don't know who said it originally, but it's great. It's, they buy the it, person. <laughs> yeah, you buy the person. You know, here's the deal. I'm not, you can probably tell, I'm not holding a damn thing back. I've told you my entire process. Right. Right? Here it is. Yeah, now, now we all want you to do it for us. <laughs> but can anybody do this on their own? Right. Some people, some people can go, oh, gosh, yeah, I know my patterns deeply. Now I see how, why, why those were my best clients. Oh, right. So great. And if you can, fantastic. You don't need me, right? Yes. <laughs> Let's save our time and money. But for those of us that go, I can sense it, I can feel it, but I can't see it because I can't read the label of the jar while I'm in it. Good. Then let's talk, you know? Yes. So I, I, I'm, I'm with you. Give the content away, yeah. you know, share your best stuff. And most of all, speak to the heart of why your people are experiencing their problems, not just what the problems mm. are. And that is when they will see that you're the person for them. I love that. Yes. 
why and you know what's so fascinating i i have a, a a group of people and it feels like they're in two camps of personalities because i've got i've got really introverted people and i and then very extroverted people and i always feel more like i am like the extroverted let's people let's get loud let's absolutely get loud. i've got a group of people that are like you know and very i'm like oh we're like that and then i i think the introverted people they they must relate to me at their core, but there's more of like a wanting of that extrovert. They must like the extroversion in some capacity. Yeah. And I wonder what you think of that. So earlier I shared just a little bit about mm -hmm. the two responses we have to our patterns. We And we all do a mixture of this, but most of us do more of one or more of the other. We deflate or we inflate. So the deflation is when we fall into our own beliefs, our negative beliefs about ourselves. Oh, I'm such a loser. I'm such a whatever. Mm -hmm. The inflation is when we seek to prove that we're not that thing. Because the greatest fantasy of the ego is that we can work externally to disprove this belief we hold about ourselves internally. Say that again. <laughs> the greatest fantasy of the ego is that we uh -huh. can work externally to disprove the negative beliefs we hold about ourselves internally. Yes. Yes. <laughs> That's me. Yes, because when you said the th uh, because I was like a painfully shy and anxious kid, and I remember the year that I was like, not, nope, I'm not gonna be like that anymore, and right. just to protect myself, became very extroverted. So I don't know if I'm an extrovert or an introvert. I think I am an extrovert, but when I think back, when I see the introverted people, I'm like, no, I, I know you guys, because like. That is exactly. me inside. I'm just doing all of this because I really don't want to be that yeah. <laughs> so much. I don't want to be so, that. You know? so, so that's the inflated response versus the deflated right. response. From a, right. on the person, step outside of marketing for a minute. On the personal development side, of course, the more we can get neutral around it, the more we can, you know, if it is, I had a gal come to me who's now my business manager years ago. She showed up. And she told me this story about how she had driven all the way across town in Phoenix to go to this networking event, got out of her car, walked to the door of the building, put her hand on the handlebar, was so struck with anxiety that she let the door go, turned back around, got back in her car, drove all the way back across town in Phoenix, which is a sprawling city. And I chuckled. And I was like, oh. We, we can fix that. We can deal with that. Right. And she kind of looked at me again, like, really? I'm like, oh yeah, no problem. So we do the PhD and the wound pattern is I'm stupid. And I have her permission to talk about this. The wound pattern is I'm stupid. Now she's quick witted. She's fast, right? Her stepfather, not so much. She threatened the F out of him. Right. Mm. And she could run circles around him mentally. And what he would do is get angry and hit her and tell her she's a stupid girl. You're just a stupid piece of shit, right? Now, from a developmentally smart standpoint, what she had to do was say to herself, I'm stupid. Because when she did, she would shut her mouth. And when she shut her mouth, she was less likely to get hit, right? All these years later, trying to go to a networking event, not knowing why she's so struck with anxiety, guess what's going on underneath it? Oh, I'm stupid. And I'm going to be in a networking event where I have to open my mouth and I'm going to feel stupid and I don't want to. Right? So again, I said, I'm going more into the personal development 
piece for a moment. Neutral yeah. is when stupid no longer became a big deal, right? Part of some of what I do sometimes with my private clients is I work with them on the core pattern to help neutralize it. So stupid wasn't a big deal. She called me uh, or texted me uh, a few months into working together. And she's like, oh my God, this is going to feel like nothing to you. But I went to my daughter's house and I didn't know how to do something on my iPhone. And I asked how to do it. She said, Jeffrey, I would have never done that before. Cause she would say, mom, you're so stupid. And she's like, guess what? She did say, mom, you're so stupid. And it just wasn't a big deal anymore. That's freedom. Yeah. You know, now she had only made 20 grand that year. This was in July. And she ended that year with 126 K in revenue because she opened the things. door. <laughs> she opened the door. Yeah. No, right. She, that, exactly. I mean, literally a few months in, she Physically, was the yeah. key presenter at oh, said wow. networking event. And we went through this process and found her core product for her. She said, Oh, she worked with a lot of brick and mortar, small business owners at the time. I said, Oh, if they share this pattern of I'm stupid, where does it show up? And where we got to is she goes, Oh my God, they all have some area of business where they feel stupid. Maybe it's their books. Maybe it's their hiring practices. Maybe it's, you know, how, how to lay out the product, uh, whatever it is, but some area that's kind of a shit show in their business. And mm -hmm. they do not get help because they don't want anybody to see that they're stupid. Mm. Now, most people would stop and market there. Again, wrong decision. We go one step further and go, this pattern and problem compound over time creates what pain? Oh, they're working 80, 90 hours a week every week and they're exhausted. So we created a program for her called the 80 hour work week cure, right? <laughs> Easy. There's the specific pain on the spot, dead center. Her people were like, oh my God, that's it. Right. But, but it, it th that paired with obviously messaging that, that is speaking to that because the 80 hour work week cure, I could see speaking to, you know, a, a perfectionist controlling person who needs everything to be perfect and can't let go also has the ultimate yeah, problem yeah, yeah. of. Yeah, like in the messaging, that, one of the yeah. things I do with people is have the messenger tell their audience the audience's secret. So, and I often use the word secretly. So we're broadcasting, hey, I know this is a secret. I love messaging because usually we're reading it or listening to it on our own. It's very private usually, right? Mm -hmm. If we're reading a website or reading a sales page or whatnot, she goes and secretly you know, there's some part of your business that is massively out of control and it's tearing you down and you don't know what to do about it. Right. So we're, we're speaking to the pattern in the messaging, even though you're right, the positioning of that product isn't particularly unique. It could speak to different patterns. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. So we address that usually in, in the, the positioning of the, of the product and in the sure. messaging itself. Love it. You know what this is reminding me of? There's this book I read when my son was younger. Yeah, he's three. Called the Whole Brain Child, but uh -huh. when he was one, the Whole Brain Child, and and just the thing that stood out to me was the idea that things happen to kids, and then a lot of times parents just say, you know, oh, it's okay, you know, especially if they're very young, like they don't think about it 
creating any sort of connection as you were describing. So it's just like, oh, honey, it's fine. You know, everything's fine. And what they're saying is you need to basically create the integration right there. You want to talk about especially things that are traumatic or, you know, they give an example of a little girl was like in a little car accident with her babysitter. Everything's fine. Parent would usually be like, everyone's fine. Everyone's fine. You know, but instead being like, that was really scary. Let's talk about the fear. Let's talk about all these things so that you kind of like help the child not do exactly what you're getting to, which is like, find that thing that they that assumption that they made then that is then going to influence everything in their life. But if you integrate them right at that moment, they'll just like it won't, it won't be as they will be healthier children. Yes. And I and this is just making me think of that because I obviously tried to do that (laughs) with my kid. But also, as I read it, I was like, oh, all those times that that didn't happen and all the, you know, the beliefs that I created. Here's the other thing, though, I want to say, Pia, because especially when I taught purpose work and we Mm -hmm. that's really where I learned about wounding is in the work with purpose. Mm -hmm. You know, people would say, oh, but how do I raise a kid without any wounds? Right. (laughs) Right? And I'd say impossible, Right. right? Give it up, one. But two, what if their wounding was instrumental to their development? Now, does it need to be, I mean, good Lord, I've had clients that have had some horrendous wounding. I've also had clients that had love, healthy upbringings. It doesn't, they there was a wounds. guy. There's oh my still God. Wounds. There was yeah. a guy, Pia, years ago, Taki had me speak at one of his events in Santa Monica. So I go and do my talk. And this guy raises a hand. He's like, I, I, I don't really have any wounding. I had a great childhood, blah, blah, blah. He was a coach to real estate agents, helping them grow their real estate agency. Now, I told you already, I'm fairly intuitive. So I have that as part of my how I work. And I'm talking to him. And I'm like, do you have a brother? You know, siblings, do you have a brother, an older brother? Yeah, I did. Were you and your brother good friends throughout most of your childhood? Or was he always like the Val Victorian, the captain of the football team? And you were always trying to catch up with him, but never quite there. Like, you know, biting at his heels. And he goes, yeah, that's exactly how my relationship with him was. I said, okay. The real estate agents you work with, are they the ones that always get real estate agent of the year, top salesperson of the year, get the top marks? Or are they in the top five, always trying to get number one, but never making it? And his eyes got (laughs) so wide, right? He's like, holy crap, those are my best people. I said, are you marketing to them specifically? Nope, right? He was marketing features and benefits. I'm going to train you in how to be a better real estate agent, blah, blah, blah. Mm -mm. He was doing none of the story about, I know what it's like to want to be number one, to have that fire in you, right? I know what it's like to work your ass off year in, year out, and never quite make it. I know that you see what's possible for yourself. I know you see yourself at the top of that podium. My work is to help you become that agent. Oh my God, you just gave me the chills. And a really big insight <laughs> in my own thing. Wow. So you could also like moonlight as an illusionist medium <laughs> person, sounds like. You're I, the next I, Darren I, Brown. <laughs> I do a little bit. I do, do a little bit. Yeah. That's fascinating. That is so good. See, it's all around us. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, right, right. But we're it's up here. We don't see it. Yeah. And most of us aren't even looking at ourselves. We're out there sure. looking at the market, trying to figure out the yeah. damn market. And I'm yeah. like, oh, the market's inside of you. Screw the market. Look inside yourself. Yeah, I love yeah. that. 
what you were saying, one of the things I would say is don't map yourself onto an existing market, map a market onto you, right? You need to know where that home base is, the center of the bullseye. Where's your one square inch where you know that you know that you know that's your spot and then map the market onto you. Oh my gosh. I love it so much, Jeffrey. I knew you were going to be a mind-blowing guest. <laughs> I really appreciate you coming on here. Uh, when I watched the training, I was like, I need to hire this guy. Now I want to hire you even more. So we will be working together sometime soon. Brilliant stuff. What's the best place for people to go to find out more about you? TheCourageousMessenger.com. There's a couple different things that I'll point out there. Yeah, One, click on resources. There's a free ebook. It says sharing your unique genius with the world. It's about finding that one scrunch you can drill a mile deep using this methodology. Oh my so you God. can go there or go to courageousmessenger.com slash free ebook and find the same thing. So that's there. I have a podcast called The Jeffrey Van Dyke Show, where I talk with game-changing paradigm changers in all sorts of industries. That just launched, so you can find that by going to courageousmessenger.com slash podcast. Oh my and, God. I uh, watched listened to the beginning of the one with this woman named Neil. I was <sighs> cracking up. Uh, Isn't she amazing? <laughs> oh my so God, good. I love her. She has such good stories about <sighs> being a powerhouse woman with the name Neil. It was <laughs> really oh, so good. I love her. Anyway. So uh, that's there. And then on Tuesday mornings, every Tuesday morning, 9 a.m., speaking of the channely bit, I do like a channeled message in my in my Facebook group, oh, uh, yeah? which is the Courageous Mester <laughs> Facebook group. So you can find that there too. So anyway, cool. those are a couple different places to find me. Perfect. We will link to all of those in the show notes. Jeffrey, thank you so, so much for your time. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and your genius. I know my head is spinning. And this, I I was prepared for this. If you didn't know what was coming, I'm sure you're like, uh, I'm going to need to listen to that again. Thank you so much, Jeffrey. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. You can learn more about Jeffrey on his podcast, The Jeffrey Van Dyke Show. That's D-Y-K. Dyke, and at thecourageousmessenger.com. The links to these will be in the show notes at piasilva.com backslash podcast. The reason I had Jeffrey on is because even casually answering some of these questions that he shared opened my eyes to a ton of new possibilities in my marketing, and I hope they did for you too. I know he shared a lot, so if you didn't have a chance to actually take the time to write them down and take notes, I'm going to share them with you again right now. The basic premise is that you start with a formative traumatic experience from your early childhood, and then you ask yourself the following questions. How did you feel? What did you crave? What did you do? What skills did you develop? What beliefs did you adopt? And what behaviors emerged because of those beliefs? Do this a few times and you will start to see your own patterns and perhaps even see the connection of how it relates to your audience. Of course, to get the full benefit of this work, you would benefit from working directly with Jeffrey or taking one of his programs. But if you're not at that stage yet, I know taking the time to think about these questions will be inspiring to you and your message no matter what. And that might just be your next step to showing your business who's boss. Show Your Business Who's Boss is produced by Yellow House Media. Production coordinator is Lou Blazer. This episode is edited by Marty Seafelt. Creative direction by Steve Wasterball. Our theme music is Glass Prisms by Western Runners. Mm-hmm.